0: Good evening and welcome to this week's episode of Pop Culture Double Date. Um, this week I'm joined by Gerald Anager and Maggie. Um, say hello, everyone. Hello. Um, yeah, and this week we're talking about Ad Astra, um, the sort of the sci-fi film with Brad Pitt. Um, yeah, it's a sort of interesting sort of film, I guess. Um, yeah, so why don't we start by... How should we do this? Should we start by giving a brief synopsis of what this film was? Because the reality I, is that before yeah. watching this film, I had no no context about this whatsoever. Um
1: uh, so, uh, I had a quick two minutes before we went into the cinema, I had a quick read of the you know what the plot was meant to be, and it sounded so basic from what I read. So I didn't think it was basic at all as a movie, but um, the plot seemed so basic. But yeah, why don't we give a really quick um, uh, sort of uh, summary of what it's about?
0: Yeah, so look, basically, it's about it's set in the near future and. It's essentially kind of about space travel. There's this astronaut who Brad Pitt plays, um, and his dad was sent to Neptune years and years ago to try to find alien life, and basically he wasn't heard of again. And the basic premise of the story is that there are these sort of pulses, these electrical pulses coming in from deep space that are sort of dis, sort of shorting out all the electrical circuitry on earth like these pulses hit earth and it's kind of like these catastroph this sort of catastrophic event and they figure out that these pulses are come, coming somewhere from neptune right um, and so, Brad and this P- is a full spoiler podcast. Should we
1: should we sorry. be warned.
0: This yeah, yeah, full, that's right. This is full, full spoiler podcast. Sorry, sorry, guys. This is a full spoiler podcast. Let's just get that. Sorry, I should have said that. To start with, anyway. So these these pulses are coming from Neptune, and the plot of this film is basically Brad Pitt going, um, basically trying to make contact with his father, who is the <laughs> last known sort of person, or was on the last known exhibition out to Neptune and sort of eventually going out to Neptune to meet him. So it's kind of, I mean, the way I've described it, it feels like very sort of hard sci-fi, but it's done in a way which is, look, it's believable in the sense that the technology is not like, sort of hoverboards and floating cars and that sort of thing right like it still looks kind of within the realms of possibility within the realms of our sort of reality that's kind of the way the sci-fi works so there's like a sort of pseudo-realistic element um to this um yeah and so it's basically about his trip to neptune um the way I kind of see it is that there's a little bit of um, apocalypse now to this film. Like, I mean, this story of a guy sort of travelling down the river or like travelling into deep space to find like the um, Colonel Kurtz-style character at the end of it. But I think but
2: that... there is there is so much
0: apocalypse. <laughs> this movie is apocalypse
2: now in space. The story of a man sent on a mission that he doesn't quite understand to confront someone in some distant place who's gone totally mad. And along the way, he gets the entire crew of his ship killed. So it is uh, almost beat for beat Apocalypse Now, um, (laughs) with a twist.
0: Okay, so let's just get into it, right? Like, why don't we go around the table, give our impressions, um, and a view of whether, basically, whether we would recommend this film or not. Um, So, Jerry, do you want to kick off, given I know you're a big fan of Apocalypse Now, so (laughs) I'm sure this film had some resonance with you.
2: (laughs) Even down to the slightly detached, weary voiceover, this movie had so many, I think, deliberate and intended callbacks to Apocalypse Now. But obviously, it's a much more disciplined film than Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now was this sort of big, shaggy mess that Francis Ford Coppola didn't quite know how to shape, and that is reflected in the fact that they're now so many versions of Apocalypse Now available. I think a new director's cut is forthcoming in the form of the 4K Blu-ray release in a couple of weeks' time. So um, Ad Astra is a much tighter film than Apocalypse Now, and it's a film that's probably much more interested, I think, in basic human connections than Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now was essentially... The focus of Inquiry was Kurt and the fact that he had gone out into the, the jungles in Vietnam and Cambodia and gone mad, started thinking that he was God, and um, performed all manner of acts of savagery on the locals and others around him. Whereas the focus in this movie is very much um, the Brad Pitt character, Roy McBride, not the Kurtz character, his father. And it is the story of how. A bride, emotionally crippled by the fact that his father went missing thirty years ago, eventually comes to well, literally and figuratively, give let his father go, and start to reconnect again. So, in, in some respect, it's a it's probably a thematically less ambitious film. It's a film that uses um, the imagery and the gradual space to remind us that ultimately, the things that count are not the distances that we as a species have yet to travel but rather the very small distances between us as, as as individuals um and in that respect i think ad astra was the movie that interstellar wanted to be um i think this was a much better film than interstellar and um Brad Pitt has had quite an astounding year he was the best thing, if not the only good thing, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I think he's in almost every frame in this film, and he really does hold together. He's a very, very compelling presence in this film. Um, And he's aided, I think, by some interesting uh, visual touches for at least the first two-thirds of its run. You see um, humanity set up bases on the moon and in Mars, and instead of them being sort of these clean, sleek, futuristic places you know, like the, like the space station in 2001, a space odyssey, they're really sort of dingy and dang and grubby and grungy. Um, but not quite, not sort of, not post-apocalyptic, just a bit sort of a bit filthy. So um, I, I thought this was a film that is worthy of being recommended to all and sundry. I think it was, um, I think it was um, a very good set.
0: Mm, interesting. Okay. Mags, do you want to shoot next? Yeah, sure.
3: Um, I think I had a, a quite the opposite reaction to Gerald. Um, I was a bit bored by the movie, and I found it long and underwhelming. Um, I was thoroughly unconvinced by the character of Brad Pitt, Royal McBride, and his relationship with his father. I didn't relate at all to Roy McBride's character or his story. Uh, I usually love movies about space couples... Um, or set in space generally. Um, and I think the main reason why I like it, besides the sort of science fiction, I like science fiction, um, is because it, they usually explore universal themes about what it means to be human. Um, and with this movie, I, I kind of felt like it tried very hard to do so, but, um, it did so unconvincingly and a little superficially. Um, I think for me, Maybe some of the reasons for that was um, the pacing, the dialogue, and the sort of lack of depth of the relationships. What I liked, um, like Gerald said, um, the portrayal of space travel and what happened um, to the moon, the way that it was commoditized, I thought that was quite interesting. And it kind of looked like, you know, Darren and I have just come back from Singapore, the equivalent of the jewel which they've just built, you know, next to training airport. They've kind of done the same thing on the moon. Um, so I, and the last thing I suppose is is meant to end on an optimistic note, which we can talk about later. Um, when I left the movie, it, it I I didn't feel optimistic at all. Actually, um, I kind of felt flat and depressed, um, and not because I mean a lot of the movie was um, you know this battle by Brad Pitt was almost like a battle uphill um, and a fight that was meant to represent, I suppose, this kind of, you know, humanity's fight to progress and to find meaning within itself um, and that, you know, you're meant to see this kind of dawn on the horizon, but I didn't get that at all from it. Um, so I wouldn't recommend it.
0: Mm, interesting. Um, Andrew, do you, do you want to shoot next?
1: Sure. Um, oh, God, where to start? I really love this movie i do i liked it a lot i found myself really engaged and drawn into it um there's a few times where i kind of got quite teary um which is you know happens to me when i get very consumed in in a movie um, interestingly this is um another movie where there's i just looked it up of rotten tomatoes and there's a There appears to be a big discrepancy between critics and audience. I think it said 83% critics, 42% audience. Um, so, but I really enjoyed it. I thought that the thematic content of this movie was really, like, like really touching, even though it was very much on the nose and really quite blunt about what it was saying. I really enjoyed watching it um, sort of unravel out. So even though it is a sci-fi movie, it's not really a sci-fi movie. It's really all about the thematic content. It just happens to be set in space. And I think space, because it's vast, it's so lonely, it's so empty, is actually a nice background to explore these themes. Um, And I think essentially the movie is about Brad Pitt's character (laughs) – who starts off really traumatized by, um, I guess, not having a very close relationship with his father, who he admired extraordinarily and loved very much, and then losing his father to this space mission. And he says it himself, like the voiceover in this, um, Brad Pitt's voiceover throughout this movie kind of tells us, Exactly what's going on. You don't really have to sort of interpret much, or um, it doesn't leave much to the imagination. But you know, one of the things he says is that he felt a mixture of anger and hurt um, about the loss of his, his father. And yeah, he, he feels angry that his father kind of was taken from him, um, hurt that he was abandoned in some way because his father wasn't all that engaged, I think, in him and his mother in the first place. He was a career person. He was focused on exploring the universe, and that's all that really mattered to him. And the sense of longing for, you know, longing to find resolution to some of these emotional issues that he's sort of grown up his whole life with, um, either to find out that his dad had reasons for the way he left them when wasn't really you know didn't come back or that you know that his dad really did love him or just some kind of answer to that sense of abandonment that he's felt all his life and has led to him not being able to emotionally engage with anybody in his life including his wife not being able to have a child he says because you know this is a dangerous job but really because he doesn't want to feel that depth of love for anybody um, because he's been so hurt by what he's lost with his dad so it, this is about his journey and what I loved about it is just how, like, what a truth it tells about if you try to find answers to those kinds of deep hurtful past issues, you usually just go further down the road of darkness into destruction. You actually need to let go and accept that some of those things happened and there are no good answers and there is no happy, you know, resolution there and you have to kind of see what you do have in life and move forward and, you know, find the kind of life you want in the future and in the present, not in the past. Um, And, you know, the film... He very clearly spells that out. I think he says I think he says at one point you know as I come closer to you, the further I go from the Sun, the closer into darkness I go and yeah <laughs> the more he insists you know, the more he insists on having you know finding this resolution with his dad, the more like it's just going into destruction and at the point where he does find his dad it's just so sad where his dad just says to him you know I didn't love you um and, and maybe he did love him in his own fashion but definitely didn't love him in the way Brad Pitt um Brad Pitt's character um Roy McBride needed to be loved and You know, Roy sort of sheds a tear when he hears that and he that's the point where he kind of lets it go. Well, he starts to let it go because he just responds with, I know and I still love you. And he tries to get his dad back. And then there's this point where he literally has to let his dad go because his dad is literally now pulling him into the universe, like on a suicide mission. And he's, if, as though that wasn't obvious enough for all of us, his dad is saying, let go, let me go, let me go. And he, <laughs> has, to, he has to literally let him go. Um, and then, you know, and, he, and another very on-the-nose thing he says about his dad, which is really what underlies this whole movie, is, you know, his dad was so obsessed with what he couldn't see, which is he couldn't find alien life on any of the beautiful Planets that he, um, you know, he found. He was so obsessed with what he couldn't see that he just couldn't see. He didn't appreciate what he did have, um, and that's the same issue that people who are very stuck in their past and their past traumas go through. They are so, so focused on what they didn't have and what, you know, growing up or whatever it is that they can't see what they could have or what is around them there. Um, it's the same theme and it's again spelt out for us but I didn't mind that it was spelt out because I did think that exploring this theme and this message was important and I think they did it in a really nice way even though it was very much on the nose and then you know on that point about the ending I did find it very uplifting because Brad Pitt plays this very sort of expressionless character the whole time you know the voiceover is attached as someone else said his expressions are detached he's extremely brave but he's He's only able to be brave because he really doesn't care. He doesn't care about whether he lives or dies. There's no one there for him to care about. And that's why he's able to do such brave things. Um, So he goes from that... To when he fi- and and the reason he's like that is because he is stuck in this past trauma. He just can't feel emotions in the way that you know a healthier person would be able to feel. And then when he finally lets go of his dad and he lands on Earth, you see this like joy, this pure joy on his face, and you can see that he's going to finally let go of all of that and start to live and start to feel again and care. Um, and that's kind of wonderful. So, I really loved it. I would absolutely recommend it. I, I, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: I think it was great.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Um, okay. So, it is actually really interesting that you bring up that Rotten Tomatoes thing, manager because um, I think we've had a few movies now where, on our podcast, we've had that Rotten Tomatoes dichotomy kind of play out. Um, I actually really mm. enjoy it because it's, it's really good to get an understanding of of, like, why that dichotomy kind of exists, right, I, th- I think nowadays, like, often people are just like, oh, you're wrong, or whatever it is, right, but it's really nice that we get to have these discussions, and actually discuss why, like, those differences of opinion exist, right, like, um, so, like, I mean, I guess I'll just, out of the, like, out of the gates, I, I probably wouldn't strongly recommend this film. Like, I, I probably wouldn't really recommend this film. I, for me, this was kind of like a middling sort of film, right? And mm. I've been trying to understand why it is that I, I feel that way. And because, look, to be honest, I, I, I understand what you were saying, right? I absolutely got the sort of messages that the film was trying to build. Mm. Um, and, uh, like, I... I re- There's a lot to admire about this film, right? I think the film actually has quite good production values. Like its, um, like its vision of space and like the near future is actually really interesting. Um, I think the film at its heart is trying to convey this message, which look. I, I also had a bit of an issue with the way it was delivered. I, I definitely... Like, for me, the narration really didn't work. I felt the way it was written, that dialogue, it it, it was really on the nose for me, right? Um, So, but, like, I, I take... I, I understand kind of the message it was trying to convey. So I've been trying to sort of grapple with why it was that it didn't really resonate with, with me in particular, right? Um... And I think I've come down to two elements of this film, which kind of made it hard for me to sort of really like it, right? I think the first one is, like, so I think it's really important in this film for, um, basically, like, I guess for me, like, for me to really sort of appreciate this film... Brad Pitt's character arc is actually quite an important element, right? And it's I guess, the
1: whole film. Yeah,
0: and I, I guess I, I kind of fall closer with Mags, where I kind of... I didn't feel like the character arc was... Like, it didn't feel as organic, right? It almost felt... For me, it almost felt like the film is telling you that this is kind of like... This is his emotional state in each of these things, but then it's kind of like the actions and the events and that sort of thing, like... I guess, like, there we've seen a lot of films where the the characters kind of display through their actions and that sort of thing. You kind of see that character arc organically build out. And for me, like, the way Brad Pitt worked in this film was that he was a robot, basically, for, like, 80% of the film. And then there's a moment towards the end when he's like, I'm not a robot. And then he comes back to Earth, and uh, I guess... Look, maybe we need to rewatch this, but the way I kind of perceived when he came back to Earth, it it was kind of like he was a slightly happier robot, but he was still kind of like a robot, right? So for me that character arc didn't quite fall. I can I kind of I understand exactly kind of what they were trying to do, but I kind of felt like the way it was written, the way that sort of internal monologue was done, the way basically that because Brad Pitt was such a robot for so much of the film, and that they had to be so kind of like blunt with the way they kind of, oh, he's going through emotional trauma now because he's going through the psych tests and his like heart rate is up. Or, you know, you literally see him going through the sort of hallucinations and the deep space sort of thing, right? Like, it felt really forced rather than, okay, this is a man that is actually going through a complex emotional journey, right? So I guess my reading, my reaction to that character's journey was not particularly... um, I didn't feel like it was organic. I didn't feel like it was um, as impactful as it should have been, which is why, in the end, that message... I I think when, like, those character arcs really resonate with me, the end message, even if it is a little bit trite, um, like, it, it still works, right? But for me, the way it ended up coming out was that they had this end message and my reaction was, well, okay. Oh like, okay. So you're going to, you're going to shove this. As in, it's this sort of tripe sort of message, right? Like as in, instead of being like feeling a sense of satisfaction, I was like, yeah, okay. I get it. Like you were kind of shooting for this for like the entire film. We get it. Right. It, I was more cynical about it than, um, sort of, I guess, joyous or like, um, sympathetic um so that, I, I think i think that's kind of one aspect of it i think the other aspect of this film is that i, I felt like it was a really long and ponderous film in some ways right like um i, I definitely felt felt like there was an element of like um it's kind of like apocalypse now meets like a denise Villeneuve film almost, right? Like, there's a lot of sort of close-ups and sort of long, ponderous shots and that sort of thing.
2: And I was da- trying to... Darren,
0: <laughs> I'm sorry, but that sounds, that sounds awesome. Focus now meets Denny Filner. This is freaking brilliant. But, okay, so the reason why I don't think it works, though, is because I think... So, like, you have films like Blade Runner 2049, Arrival, that are, like, actually... Not super fast paced films, right? Not action paced films, but great films. I, I think they're great films anyway. But I think the reason why like I was I didn't feel like they were ponderous films. And look, some people felt Blade Runner was ponderous and I totally get that, right? But the reason I didn't feel Blade Runner was a ponderous film was because there was a sense of suspense that was running through the film, right? I didn't actually know what was gonna happen, and there was a central mystery that kind of drove the like both Arrival and Blade Runner twenty forty nine along, right? With this film I didn't feel like any sort of suspense or tension almost, it, it was almost like, yeah like, I know that this guy is eventually going to meet his dad in Neptune, like within the first 15 minutes you're like, okay, so this is exactly what's going to happen, so the film basically doesn't have any sense of surprise or suspense and so it's just kind of like, okay, so you know, I know that I have to get from point A to B, and as a result I. I it just as. look, maybe it's It's like a sort of sort of a plot-driven aspect rather than a sort of overall conceptual aspect of the film. But from a plot perspective, I just found it kind of dull because it was there wasn't really (laughs) not really a lot happens, and for the not a lot that happens, it wasn't suspenseful. Right? There wasn't a sense of tension that was built up. Um, Yeah. So I think in my mind, that's kind of why this film didn't resonate um as well with me having said that look i, I completely take gerald manager's um points on board like uh, look i i agree with them to a certain extent right it's just that the end emotional reaction was not as strong or as positive for me as it was for you guys i guess and so for me i started focusing on these other aspects of you know the plot or like my interpretation of brad pitt's character arc that um probably that that I didn't really like this film as much, right? So, yeah, I mean, straight, like, so, yeah, I I guess my view is that I I probably wouldn't sort of heartily recommend this film. I think the film has its merits, um, but I think it's quite, I think it is a flawed film as well, so,
1: yeah. I think in terms of suspense and tension, Mm. um, (laughs) I I, am... I did find it quite uh, suspenseful, but I think I was driven by – I had two questions in my mind the whole film, and the first was – when he, of course, it was obvious he was going to find his father. But there was no doubt about that. But my question was, when he found his father, what was he going to find? Like, which direction was this movie kind of going to go down? Like, were, was there going to be some explanation as to why his father had acted that way? Was he, like, secretly the good guy? Or was he what I hoped, which is, you know, the someone who actually is the letdown, the person who, you know, has completely disappointed his son and just w- was... The you know the guy who abandoned him and went kind of crazy and there isn't anything there to to find some you know some redemption over um, so I did want to know which direction they'd go down I was glad they went down that ladder one and my other question was you know if you keep going down this path of needing to find like an answer to why your parent abandoned you or wasn't a good parent to you and you just get stuck in that. You often do head towards destruction, and so I did wonder, is this going to end in mutual destruction where we, you know, they destroy each other somehow? Even when his father sort of leapt off into space, it wasn't obvious to me that Brad Pitt was going to be okay, because thematically, this movie could have said, by not letting go, you know, it leads, this is what it leads to, like, mutual destruction. Um but and so when when it didn't go that way, he did let go, and he kind of came out from it. I was kind of relieved, and so I was. There was something there. And the, the second thing is, you know how Brad Pitt's character, you know, you call him robotic, but I would say just ex- he's extremely controlled in all of his emotions, and also really struggles to really feel or display any. And so because of that, because that's the way they've written him. Um, When he does show some slight emotion, to me it actually feels like I really feel like how much it must – take for him to show that slight amount and so the the time when I cried was actually when he um, you know the second time he tries to communicate with his father on Mars and he abandons the script and he just speaks to him and I loved it because it's not as though he said anything particularly emotional he's still really controlled in this sort of impromptu like reaching out to his dad it still sounds like it could have been a pre-written speech but he is speaking from the heart and it's still a little bit less controlled than the rest of it and that just communicated you know, just how much pain I felt like he was holding back and still trying to hold there, but was about to just explode out. But he's still controlling it with everything he's got. And I think that's also why when he has that joy on his face at the end, like that really, like I was really happy for him and it meant something to me. And yeah, he still sounds a bit robotic, but then change takes time. And I wouldn't expect him to come off sounding like a completely different person straight away. But I don't know, for me, it was hopeful that he was moving in that direction.
0: Hmm,
2: hmm. Yeah, uh, there's one other thing. Um, there's one other film that this movie that reminds me of. It it, tr- it has the same narrative structure as Apocalypse Now, but the story that it tells is actually very similar to the story of First Man, the biopic that came out last year about Neil Armstrong, directed by Damon Chazelle, because that tells the story of a man who suffers a very early loss and trauma, in Neil Armstrong's case, um, the, the death of his daughter by leukemia and he becomes this very closed off emotionally shut down individual and ryan gosling plays him very much as a robot even as people around him are taking extraordinary risks some of them even dying gosling's armstrong remains completely focused on the mission and doesn't give away his emotions at all he's just completely removed and distant from almost everyone around him including his his wife he then goes on this mission to the moon and in so doing, um, take steps to let go of that early trauma. Um, In the case of Ad Astra, it's um, Brad Pitt literally and figuratively letting go of his father. In the case of Neil Armstrong, who's played by Ryan Gosling in The First Man, um, Armstrong dances away from from the moon buggy and approaches a crater on the moon and throws into it a little necklace that his daughter wore before she died he comes back to Earth and, and he's in basically a quarantine chamber, the final scene I think is of him in, a, in something like a quarantine chamber and his wife steps in on the other side of the glass and two of them try to sort of touch hands through the glass and gaze into each other's eyes and finally having, having let go of this emotional burden whilst he was on this mission, uh, Ryan Gosling's Neil Armstrong returns back to Earth and is in a position to start reconnecting with his partner. It's a very very similar story to that which is told in this movie, and I think this movie tells in a more in a more engaging way mm-hmm. than uh, than First Man did. First Man is a seriously ponderous film. It is not only ponderous but shot with a lot of shaky cam, so it's incredibly difficult to see. And I'd be surprised if people didn't get motion sickness while watching that movie. This is a much tighter, cleaner movie than First Man was, and I think. Um, this movie actually presents an argument for the irresistible charisma of Brad Pitt. Because as 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 charismatic and compelling a presence as Ryan Gosling is, he played Neil Armstrong as such a robot, so close-off, so distanced and removed from those around him, that it was he, his character was completely and utterly impenetrable. Whereas I think even if there were robotic elements in the character of Roy McBride in this one, um, you just can't help staring at the screen because, well, I mean, Pitt, let's face it, is ageing very well. And <laughs> not only is he ageing well, but he's always been an extraordinarily charismatic, compelling presence. Um, it, it was crazy just watching him in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood completely out-cool and out-charisma Leonardo DiCaprio. It, it, it was just staggering. He made DiCaprio look like a complete hack. And he has that sort of irresistible movie star quality such that even though, I think, the character is a bit walled off, he nonetheless sort of... He nonetheless struck a chord with me. Uh, and I could not help but be engaged in the story. So I think if, if you can... If you if you dial back comparisons between this movie and Apocalypse Now, even though the movie invites those comparisons, and focus on the p- parallels and similarities with First Man, I think this movie really starts to come into its own, uh,
0: and and its merits become more obvious. Hmm. Mm, interesting. It's interesting that both you guys. Well, look. It's interesting that Gerald found Brad Pitt quite charismatic in this film. Um. I, I, Mags, did you did you like Brad? So. I'll speak for myself first, right? Like, I found Brad Pitt to be okay in this film, but like, I, I personally kind of look. I mean, I think, and I think this comes to the heart of why I didn't connect with this film because I didn't really connect with the Roy McBride character that much, and I like I couldn't get over the fact that he was such a robot and how, like, I, I couldn't get over how on the nose and. The narration that, like, I know that they needed the narration because they needed to give him some sort of internal dialogue. Because you had so many shots mm. where no one says anything. And if it was right? a
1: book, and, and if it was a book, it'd be okay, right? Yeah, exactly. If it was a book I'm yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: But because he's saying it, and then it's almost like, well, you're literally saying what is happening on the screen right now, mate. Like, it's unusual. Really... It's unusual. Yeah, yeah, it's unusual. yeah. And so I, I think that really set me off on this sort of weird wrong foot where i'm just like man are you for real what, you're what is, annoyed yeah who is writing this dialogue for this narration right so immediately i'm annoyed and like my connection with that roy mcbride character is not as strong i guess that as you and you and um anager and gerald had mags what do you think of roy mcbride did you were you able to connect with him at all or? yeah
3: uh, no, and I think because I didn't connect with him at all from the beginning, it just made the whole movie quite difficult to watch. Um, and I mean, I I think the use of um, the monologue is obviously it's a device you can use when you're really you know one character alone for a very long period of time, um, and the dialogue is very stylized. Um, so I think that also made it quite challenging. I'm not saying stylized dialogue is, ge- you know, generally speaking, a bad device. Um, I think just in, in this instance, it just didn't work for me.
0: Yeah, look, it, but, it felt I mean, like it was, <laughs> it was written, right, rather than spoken, right? Like, the way he talks is like, it's like from a book rather than like an internal sort of stream of consciousness style sort of thing, right?
3: Mm, yeah, I think it's, I mean, the other thing I suppose is, you watch theater and they use stylized dialogue in monologues as well and there's nothing i mean that is um, i guess it's the context as well matters
0: yeah.
2: yeah yeah i suppose in my case i pretty quickly started if not ignoring then at least giving less emphasis to the voiceover and i was and i was watching because the movie focuses in close ups on his face Quite a lot um, you know the way he sort of glanced at other characters the sort of we the sort of half the wry half smile that he would occasionally give when he was just alone um, and those little gestures on the part of Pitt I think added up to a whole lot more than, um, than the voiceover narration of the film. I think the, the, little, the little gestures the little the little actors choices that he makes. Um, and the little glances at other characters, little glances into the distance—they, I mean, they—they they sort of convey more powerfully than anything else the the actual star power of Pitt. He can he can, with relative economy of action, convey um, quite a great deal of emotion. And so you, you see on the one you see in these in these you know relatively small p- components of his performance. Um, sort of slightly devil may care, um, who gives us stuff if I, if I, if I, if I die aspect of, of Roy McBride. And you, you also see though, that there is, I think, you also see a slight woundedness about him. You you can actually see the pain under the, under all of that Mm -hmm. because, um, because even though he, he might see, he might seem emotionally walled off, um he does carry himself as if he were bearing upon his shoulders a great weight. And so you actually, it, 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 it was this sort of carefully modulated performance. He was on the one hand required to convey sort of classic movie star courage, but at the same time, um, convey as well a, a certain vulnerability, um, a certain pain, deep-seated pain. And I think he did that, I think he did that magnificently, outside mm. of the voiceover. Yes, the voiceover was, it was, could have yeah. been... The voiceover was, I, I can see, a bit irritating and a bit obvious. It's probably the most obvious tell-not-show voiceover since the original cut of Blade Runner. But once mm. you tune that out and just focus on the actual nuances of the performance, it, it was actually really finely calibrated and um, surprising, because... We've lived with Brad Pitt and our lives for like 25 years now, since Thelma and Louise. And I remember still, mid to late 90s, when Pitt's reputation was as just beefcake. And that started to change with movies like, like seven. But in the last, particularly this year, he is really, you know, after after going through this whole the whole sort of rigmarole of his relationship with Angelina Jolie blowing up and him starring in a few movies that weren't particularly engaging. Um, this year he's really sort of he's he's really packed a punch whenever he's been on screen. So um, I don't know why it was that uh, that 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 was that was more um, the focus of my attention than the voiceover. But I think having 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 made that the focus of my attention, it actually made me connect with the character of the writer a great right deal more.
3: Mm, I saw all of that as well, Gerald, but I think for me, even just looking at those gestures, looking at the way in which he chose to move and express himself um, without the dialogue, it still felt very artificial to me. Yeah. Um, not Notwithstanding Brad Pitt's charisma, I mean, he is a naturally really charismatic person, and um, even the way he chose to move... Um, the way you know the progression over time when he was doing all the different um psych tests he would take different postures and over time his expression would change um i found i still found that unconvincing i'm not sure why i think it's not just the dialogue
0: yeah I, I think for me like so yeah look i i do agree with you gerald like um and look, like for me, I probably didn't pay attention to the little movements as much as you did, um, but I, but I guess like what you said there about the show not show not tell aspect, um, I guess like an example of this in this film, apart from the narration, is that I feel like a lot of this film hinges on the depth of Brad Pitt's relationship with um, like. His wife and his father, right? You kind of need to establish why that he actually, really is Ooh. really. Sorry, I'd say uh,
1: the opposite. But I'd say the opposite. But
0: go yeah. on. Well, because I mean, it's kind of like, it, like it, because the crux of this film kind of lies around this idea of, well, yeah, it's actually those. Um, those those little those personal relationships that are important right it's the closeness the sort of minute spaces between people rather than the huge infinite expansiveness of, of space that are important right so it's kind of like well what motivates him to kind of go back to those sort of um those intimate intimate relationships right and i guess like you're introduced Liv Tyler barely says a word in this right, you you kind of see these sort of flashbacks to their relationship, and the way those scenes are played is that they're just like full of angst, and it's like okay, so I, I guess you have an angsty relationship with your wife, but then it doesn't show. Well, why is it that he's so that like he does end up coming back to her, right? Like, why is it that you know is there something that he genuinely believes that he like did wrong, and it did wrong in that relationship? Or some, and it's kind of like, at the end, he's just kind of, he goes, "Oh yeah, I did all this stuff wrong, right? But it's kind of like this it, it, he says it, right? He says it <laughs> rather than like it instead of it being shown, right? So all we're shown are like these sort of angsty relationships with the people that he's close with, and then everything else is like told to you rather than shown, I guess? So I, I, I don't know, I don't know. I I'd,
1: I'd say the opposite. Like rather than the film hinging on the depth of his relationship with those two, I think it's all about the lack of depth of those relationships. So he doesn't have a relationship mm. with his wife. And that's the whole point. Like he could have had one, but he never built it. He was never present. He was never there for her. He he was absent. Um, And I think he comes back because he realizes that was the wrong choice and that he's been missing out on what he could have had, like the love that he could actually have had by focusing on the love he didn't have from his parent. And similarly, the whole point is the lack of relationship he's always had with his dad. That's why there are abandonment issues. Like, that's why he feels abandoned. They never really had a relationship and that's a really hard thing I think for a child to come to terms with if they craved that and so they've got to try to make sense of it like what was the reason for that did my dad not love me like was there some some greater reason for that and they get he got stuck in that question and he ultimately had to acknowledge yeah we didn't have a relationship he didn't care about me in the way I wanted him to and that's okay I still loved him but there was nothing really there, and I have to let that go now and go see what I can build with someone who is there for me. And that's also why I think when he comes back and he sees Liv Tyler, he's happy to see her, and she's there for him. But she—it's not like she's joyous to see him, because really, there's not much between them, and they have to build that going forward. If they both—if they both want it, they have to build it. But it's not there. at in that, in that moment. And I think that, that that's the whole point, that he didn't have any relationships because he was so stuck in the past.
0: Mm, mm. Look, I, I think that's I think that's a fair point, Asia. Um Yeah, definitely when you narrate it like that, I absolutely get it. <laughs> I guess when I watched the film, I, I didn't really see it in that way, but I absolutely, like, I mean, the way you put it is, like, great, right? I can totally get it when you, oh, you put it in that way. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I
2: mean, I mean, having said all that, I, I do agree, Darren, that, that like this movie does waste Liv Tyler. Like Liv Tyler is an is an act, is, is an actor of you know great you know she's a, she's got stature and talent to burn, and she's got at, at most about two speaking lines in the entire film. Same goes for the presence of Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland is an absolute screen legend. He gets a heart
0: attack. He's basically. He, 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 yeah, <laughs> he,
2: and he basically no, he basically yeah, he basically he basically gets yeah, he, he's pooped by the end of you know sort of one particularly hairy chase across the surface of the moon and has yeah what what might well be a heart attack and so and and he's out of the movie and you don't know any more about it. I mean, there were there were there were people cast in this film who are. Who are absolute sort of titans in the in the in, in the industry, you know, sort of Donna Sutherland, Tommy Lee Jones. Now, granted, Tommy Lee Jones has stuff to do and say, but um, there are, there are you know people are wasted in this movie, and it's a it's a shame. But um, and so this is not a perfect movie. I think it it was a bit of a bummer that that Liv Tyler um, was wasted as she was, uh, but I think um, I think that that really. Is because the focus of the movie was so was very much the character arc of um, of William McBride. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Um, are there any other things we kind of want to discuss with this film? Um, I, I kind of wanted to discuss a, a few jarring things um, that occurred in this film. So the first thing that I didn't really get, and maybe someone here can explain explain to me is, you know when he goes to the moon, i uh, sorry, he goes to Mars, right? And look, mm. I absolutely, I think it was Gerald, you were saying that like, the way the sets are designed, the way like these planets and locations are designed, like Mags mentioned the moon and like, I think Gerald mentioned that everything was a little bit grimy. I actually really loved it, right? Like I thought, I loved how like so much of this design was not like high sci-fi. It was like, it was Relatable, right? It was kind of like industrial concrete and like the way it was lit almost made it feel kind of surreal in some ways, right? Like I, I really liked that. I thought like the way they designed these things was great. Um, mm. But anyway, so they go to Mars and the lady who runs Mars, um, like I didn't understand why she desperately wanted to get him onto the international, yes. yes, because yes, this is this
1: yes, this is the whole god intervention. What's that? What's that phrase for when there's a you know just something comes out of the blue and like allows yeah, deus ex like the car- so, yeah, she was basically a deus d6 machina. Like how was he going to get on that ship for some reason? She wants him to. When the crew are already going to do
0: exactly what she wants to do.
1: I was like, what? Why? Why is this happening? Why would she risk her life to get him on there? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, because that part was
0: stupid. Yeah, they were literally carrying a nuclear bomb to blow it up, and she wanted to blow him up. I was like. So, what's he gonna really add to the equation, so that he could look his they dad in the eye when they blew yeah. him up? Yeah. Um, yeah, they I should
3: think, have thought harder
0: about own, how to get I him on the that.
2: The the only explanation I can give is that because he is, um, Clifford McBride's son, he stood the best chance of getting close enough to, um, to the the um, Lima project in order to blow it
0: up. Okay. Yeah,
1: so maybe.
0: The, the other thing that was really weird was... Okay, so up to that point on Mars, everything had been kind of relatively not super action-filmy. Like, even, like, this, cha- they have this chase on the moon where they kind of have this shootout, right? But even then, it's kind of... It's not, like, action-filmy, right? It's not like, you know, a guy... Are you going to bring up the him? monkey? No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm going to bring up how he climbs up the freaking like, the space shuttle-like <laughs> booster as it's burning, and he's just unaffected. I was like, what the... Wouldn't you burn to a crisp instantly? So it was really weird, because there were so many, like, realistic elements, and then all of a sudden it's like, in ten seconds he climbs up this booster as it's, like, exploding. I was like, this just yeah. feels kind of out of place in this film, right? Yeah. You can engineer a different way for this guy to get on the, like... It- it was like totally this film was supposed to be quite realistic and then all of a sudden this scene happens like oh that's weird i think
1: i think they were so concerned that with the how realistic it would be for him to get on that ship at any second before it was about to leave and for someone not to detect that and to stop the ship and get him off it that they felt like he had to get on right when it was leaving so it would be too late or something like i don't know what that was but it was weird yeah it, i also thought that was
0: yeah um i I didn't mind the monkey scene i actually thought it kept things because you know how i complained about how this film (laughs) was i was like this is exciting (laughs) like they're killing like (laughs) raven monkeys in space right (laughs) um yeah i didn't mind like i i didn't mind the moon scene i didn't mind the monkey scene i i felt like it was interesting like um World building, well, not world, but you know, like it gives flavor to this universe that they inhabit, which is kind of close to ours, right? So, um, yeah, I, I, I didn't mind it. Yeah, to the to people who are listening, there's a there's a like there's a scene where they go to a space station and basically. Um, like crazy monkeys have killed everybody on the space station. And yeah. Well,
2: I mean, <laughs> I, I, look, that, that too was a bit of a bum note in the movie for me, and I'll tell you why, because um, what is the first thing we've learned from all... What, what is the one thing we've learned from all the space movies we've ever seen? Do not respond to a Mayday call. I mean, the, yeah. whole, the whole plot of Alien is what goes wrong when you respond to a mayday call. And so there's this mayday call, and Brad Pitt's saying, no, 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 let's charge on ahead, we do not want to be responding to this call, and Captain Tanner says, no, 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 we've, we, we are obliged, we are required to respond. So they go off and, and and board the ship, and I just thought to myself, there is very obviously nothing going to come good of this. And um, and it's just been... And I found it just a, a distract- just a bit of a distraction. It was... It was basically a plot mechanism for killing one of the four crew. Um, And I could have just done without it, I think.
0: Yeah, especially how the rest of those three guys get killed in one fight scene. Like, it's so fast, the way they kill off the rest of that crew. It's just... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was like... Whereas
2: whereas Apocalypse Now does have, like, every member of the crew get picked off in various ways throughout the course of the journey up the river. Mm. Whereas this has... A random response to made a call contrary to the rules of alien and um, and then all of a sudden one one fight scene that culminates in three people getting wiped out. So that was a that was a I think that was a that was a bit of a plotting snafu.
0: Yeah, I'd actually be really interested in understanding if, like, how because, but like, do you think they explicitly copied Apocalypse Now, like yes. the way the the the. <laughs> The crew died? Like, thinking back on it now, yeah. it's like, yeah, it does seem kind of similar when you really break it down, right? Like, yeah. I, I... It is
2: It is beat for beat Apocalypse Now. I mean, it, 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 is, it contains more callbacks to and more referencing of and more tributes to Apocalypse Now than Kong Skull Island did. So... Um, <laughs> It really is structured very much to be the same in a very similar way, and I think quite intentionally. Um, which I mean, we can debate the merits of of, of it doing so, but the fact of the matter is, it's it's just inescapable. Apocalypse Now casts a giant shadow over this movie. Hmm.
1: Okay. okay. I haven't seen Apocalypse Now, so
0: Apocalypse <laughs> Now is one of Joel's. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine Gerald's seen it enough for all of us. Combined, right? <laughs> um. Okay. Look. On that no. Is there anything else that any of us want to add, Mags, Anja, Jerry? No. Anything I, else? It was.
1: It was good that we we kind of disagreed about it because it definitely lets me see why there's such a divide. You know why the audience didn't like it. it makes it makes sense. Like listening to what you both of you, you and Mags, thought about. You know how 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 the experience was for you. Okay. Mm. Yeah, it was
0: good. I think, look, I'll just add one one final thing. Like, one of the things that I have, like, look, I mean, because we're doing these podcasts regularly now, right? Like, we get to examine our thoughts in more detail, right? Which I think is a good thing. Um, but one of the things I, I have noticed, actually, is that your mood and the expectation going into a film actually affects that experience Quite significantly, Mm. I think, right? Um, Mags, would you agree that when we went into this film, we didn't really have strong expectations and were potentially even thinking of piking at one point? Would (laughs) Would you agree with that? Yes, 100%. Yeah, so I think we weren't, like, super optimistic about this film, right? Which kind of colours things. I don't know, like, were you, what, what was your sort of frame of mind when you, you guys, when you were going into this film?
1: I wasn't hopeful because I thought the plot summary sounded like a very obvious, kind of just another space film of gone to find my missing dad. Um, Also, when we saw and Abbey last week, we were so not into it that I said to Gerald, let's go gold class. And if we don't like it, we can have a nap. And we'll we'll, we'll read the synopsis and we'll pretend we watched it. That was the plan. (laughs) So... (laughs) <laughs> and, and yeah, we both really liked and enjoyed *Down Nappy*. So I don't know. I don't
0: interesting, know. yeah, interesting. Okay.
2: Well, look. <laughs> I mean, I I, I I had read about pretty rapturous critical reception um, for the movie, and you know, people had said that this is this is you know the you know the second act of a of a, of a Brad Pitt revival. Um, <clears throat> uh, this year now maybe maybe my reaction to the movie is was coloured by, by that because according to Andrew I'm really impressionable but um, <laughs> but I think I genuinely I think I genuinely enjoyed it. Mm,
0: mm. Okay, well look, it's interesting, right? Like I think regardless, it was a good discussion tonight. So yeah, thanks everyone for um, an interesting, awesome, engaging discussion, um, and we'll be back in hopefully the for weeks. Yeah, hopefully for Joker. Thanks everyone. Good night.
1: Bye. Bye.
0: Ciao.